I want to ask you a question this morning. Why are you here? Is it friends or family, the music or mystery? Are you here because you've always been here or here because it's somewhere to go? Why are you here? Is it tradition, contrition? Why what you should do or what you have to do? Are you here because it's the one place where it all makes sense? Why are you here? Is it healing you seek, forgiveness you need, guilt, shame, all the above? Are you here because the rest of your life is up in the air and this is the one place where the ground is? Why are you here? Is it love, love of one another, love of God, love of coffee and cookies and fellowship and service and music and mystery and tradition? Why are you here? Is it Jesus? What Jesus can do, what Jesus can do for you, or does it even matter so long as you are with him and Jesus with you? Why are you here? Because here, here you are loved, accepted, healed, and forgiven. Let us pray. Our God, for whatever reason we are here, we are glad we are. Because here you are. Here your presence is felt through the people that surround us, through the music we hear, through the words spoken. And so we pray this morning that the words of our lips, the meditations on our hearts will be acceptable to you because you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. We long to hear from you. Amen. Well, were you to poll the crowds pressing in the house that day in Capernaum, you probably would have gotten a host of answers to that question, why are you here? As we've seen thus far in Mark, Jesus very quickly gains widespread fame. We ended chapter one last week being told that Jesus could no longer enter a city openly because everyone from everywhere was coming, waiting for him, crowding around even the gates of the city. Somehow, in chapter 2, Jesus manages to get into a city. We don't know, but he sneaks into town and he's hiding out at a house. But the people find him anyway. They're looking for him and there they find him and they all spread the word around the town so that everyone fills the house so full that you can't even enter or look in the front door. They bring their needs and Jesus heals them and Jesus teaches them. And that's what it happens in the midst of all the chaos inside this house. As Jesus is talking, dirt starts falling in their eyes on top of their heads. They clear the dust out of their eyes when light begins to fill fill their eyes and they're blinded for a moment. As their eyes adjust, they see this hole, a six foot hole in the ceiling and a man. A man on a mat with ropes with four heads poking around the corner and looking down the hole. And the man begins to be lowered before Jesus. Why are you here? Well, we're bringing our friend to see Jesus. That's why. The house was so crowded, we could not get in. No one would let us in. And so we made our own way. We found the way to Jesus. And there in the middle of the house, at the feet of Jesus, is their friend. But Jesus doesn't ask the man on the mat why he is here. He just looks at him, sees him there on the mat, sees his friend, sees their faith, we are told. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness, is that 
why he's here? Now, we don't talk much about forgiveness and even sin these days. This past week, I was meeting with Pastor Nate Ledke, my friend, the minister at New Life Lutheran Church here in Norwalk. He wanted to meet to talk about our denomination, get to know the Christian church disciples of Christ a little better. No, he's not thinking of joining. But he's leading a Sunday school class this morning. Uh, the class is entitled Your Neighbor's Faith, and they're going alphabetically, and they've gotten to the C's. And so he needed to, to talk to the source to learn a little more than his book told him about disciples. So he's asking me lots of questions, and it sounds easier than it is. Try and ask a disciple's pastor what disciples believe, and you get a lot of answers. Well, some disciples believe this, but, but well, not all of them. And well, yeah, 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 some of our churches do that, but we don't do that at, at Norwalk Christian Church. We, disciples agree on one thing, that it's okay for us to disagree. And we do that a lot. But one thing I could say is he's asking me questions pretty definitive, definitively was when he asked about original sin. Oh, oh, we don't believe that at all. We don't believe that, I said. Now, let me remind you about this doctrine of original sin. It's the belief that people are born in sin, with a sinful nature from the moment of birth. Humanity is inherently sinful, bad. Most church traditions that, that, that believe this will often baptize babies as a way at the very beginning of their life to dedicate them to Christ and say, we're raising this kid in spite of its sinful nature. We're raising it in the spirit and faith in God. But in disciples' churches, we don't talk much about original sin. We really don't talk about sin at all. So you believe people are basically good? Nate asked me, puzzled. Well, yeah, I said, somewhat puzzled myself, trying to ignore the tabloids and the evening news and all I see on my Facebook news feed. Yeah, I guess I do believe people are naturally, basically good. So why do you need Jesus? Nate asked. It's a good question. I changed the subject. <laughs> why do we need Jesus? Now, growing up, I was taught and believed that Jesus' purpose really was to point out sin. That's why he came to expose personal secret sin. When we talked about sin, of course, we were talking about people's dirty deeds and their bad thoughts, their bad habits. We obsessed with what people did in their bedrooms and in the privacy of their homes. We had a list of sinful words that you couldn't say. We called them cuss words, and good Christians didn't cuss. But in Jesus' day, when you see him walking around talking about sin, he doesn't point out those types of sin. He actually hangs out with people that are labeled sinners. Because sin in those days wasn't so much the individual things you did wrong, but sin was who you were. Sin was a state of being. You were born in sin because of where you lived. Because of your class and society, your nationality, even your health made you a sinner. If you were born blind or deaf, you were a sinner. If you had polio or leprosy, you were a sinner. If you were poor, you were a sinner. It wasn't about what you did, it was about who you were. And you can't change who you are. Being a sinner meant then that you were shunned from society, kept on the edge of town, not allowed to enter the temple or the synagogue to worship. 
And so this man that comes through the hole in the roof was labeled before he ever entered the room by his society as unwhole, unclean, and worthless. It's no wonder they didn't let him into the room with Jesus. He had no business being there. It was so crowded, were they to touch him, they might catch his sin. If that was not enough, in those days, someone who was poor was often sick. And sick, and their sickness often led for them, led, led them to be in debt. Not a lot has changed since then. In fact, the word in the Bible for sin is actually the same word for debt. They're interchangeably. You don't really know which word is being used. That's why our different Christian faith traditions get all tongue-tied when we try to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Because some of us are asking for forgiveness for sins and others for trespasses and others, like we prayed this morning, for debts. So which is it? Sin, trespasses, debts. Yes, all the above. It's the same word. Jesus could have just said to this man, would have been easier perhaps to say, stand up. Take your mat and go home. And the paralyzed man would have done just that. He would have stood up and walked home and and would have been healed. But he would have still lived under the weight of this poverty and his debt and his rejection. He still would have been an outcast. So when Jesus sees the man, he tells him, son, not get up and walk, but son, your sins are forgiven. Which is also the same as saying, son, your debts are forgiven. And both statements are really just one more way of saying, son, these things that the world says keeps you from society and that keeps you from God, they are no more. They're forgiven, washed away, they're taken away, and you are restored to health, yes, to life, and to community. We don't talk much about sin anymore, but maybe we should. Of course, the religious leaders, they are indignant at what Jesus does. They're thinking it in their heads, and then he reads their thoughts and says, hey, why are you asking these questions? And then they say out loud, blasphemy, he speaks blasphemy, which is a crime which could carry the penalty of death. That's why from this point on in the gospel, these religious leaders begin looking for a way to trap Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they ask. In other words, it's God's job to forgive, not ours, which sounds good. But then you read behind their words, and what they're really saying is we're happy with the way things are. Now, it's sad this man is separated from society because of illness. It's sad that he has so much debt because he can't afford proper health care or a decent place to live or food to eat. But he's a sinner. That's the way he was born, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's God's will. Who can forgive sins? Who can change the way you're born? Well, not God. Only God, not us. Maybe they're also mad because they're some of the ones who he owes payments to. And when Jesus says your debts are forgiven, maybe they wonder if they're going to get their money. Jesus exposes their hypocrisy and shines light like a hole through a roof in a dark room on the system of injustice. The scribes, the teachers of the law should have something good to say, but they have no good news to offer the suffering man. So sick and so depressed, he can't even make it to Jesus without being carried on a mat. And he can't even have the faith that he needs to be healed. He must rely on his friend's faith. So Jesus sees this desperate 
desperate man and speaks the first word of good news this man has ever heard. It's the good news he longed to hear, even though he couldn't muster the strength to ask. And when he left the house that day, for whatever reason brought him there, he left healed on his two feet, but he also left whole. And it makes me wonder, why do we need Jesus? Why are we here? Now, maybe we don't talk about sin so much because we believe we are inherently good people. We find it hard to admit that there is much about us that is broken, that we're, we know that we're given to selfishness, that we judge others, that we often act in our own interest, even when it may harm someone else. We know we're complicit in systems that feed off the oppression of others. We know that we're no better than anyone else, yet we want to think we are. To admit we are sinful is to admit the lies that we tell ourselves. So maybe we don't talk about sin because we don't want to admit the truth, that we're sinful, that we're selfish. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we say we are good, but deep down we're paralyzed by our guilt, guilt that has been heaped upon us by family and faith, driving a wall between God and those we love. What we really believe is that we aren't good enough, that we never could be, and at times we wonder why we should even bother. We'll never get it right. We can never be right. Maybe we're just cynical about it all. Sin is a given. We're bad. People are bad. The world is bad, and it's probably the way things always will be, so why even try? Who needs forgiveness? Who needs to work to make the world right when this is the way it will always be? And that's when it happens. For whatever reason we showed up, there we are through no fault of our own at Jesus' feet. And Jesus looks at us and says to us the thing we knew we needed to hear but could never ask what our souls crave to know. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And with those words, we are healed from our guilt, from our shame, from our indifference and our selfishness, from our cynicism and our doubts. We are healed. We don't owe God anything. And yet we want to give God our everything. We are forgiven. We are made whole. And nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's the good news. That's what Jesus tells the man and what Jesus tells us. And we don't deserve it and we haven't earned it. And it may not even be why we showed up today, but Jesus gives it to us anyway. Why are you here? Because here you are loved. You are accepted, you are healed, and you are forgiven. Believe that good news. Son, daughter, you are forgiven, you are loved. Amen.